This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4ZZZ out of Brisbane, Australia. In this podcast, you'll hear from researcher Dr. Cassandra Perryman, who is a clinical psychologist working with people who have addictions. Back in the United States, I actually was a director of a mental health program. I was a swing shift worker at a detoxification facility. I was a part-time worker at a hospital facility. I've done the whole gambit and the levels of mental health and drug and alcohol addiction. And that grassroots on the ground stuff. Absolutely. Therapeutic communities are my love. Um, Absolutely adore them, which is why, honestly, I ended up on the research side is because they are under-researched and underappreciated. So in... In Queensland, do you work for a particular organisation? Well, it past tense. Unfortunately, I don't work with them now, but that was ADFQ, Alcohol and Drug Federation of Queensland. Mm-hmm. They're fantastic, fantastic group. So if any, if you know anybody or if anybody needs to seek treatment, there's somebody that I would highly recommend. Okay, so um, addiction is a hard thing for us who, are, who don't have addictions, or so we think, to understand. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about what kinds of experiences lead a person to becoming addicted? It's... That is one of those big, huge, broad questions, kind of like, describe the color blue. Different people, different pathways. Some individuals can actually only try a substance once, and that's it. Their biological makeup, their personality makeup, that's it. They are hooked. Quite phenomenal. So anybody who just thinks, oh, I can just try it once, it's all right, I'll put it down. Well, you may or may not be one of those people who can then put it down after that once. Some people keep using and keep using and keep using for whatever reason. It could be something as simple as a social norm. All of my friends do this, so I do this with them. It's kind Mm. of our social thing. Drinking is the common one here in Australia. And next thing you know, it becomes so habitual, it becomes biologically addictive. Mm. Then you have things where um, the individual went through an injury or a brain alteration. It lowered their impulsivity, so they have a harder time resisting and a higher likelihood of addiction. So it is something that you can come at from a lot of Mm. different angles and they do lead to different levels of severity and different you know difficulties when overcoming it and it's good to hear it's not as simplistic as some people would have us to believe that those people are character flawed because they can't stop an addiction absolutely not and that's the absolute power of these biological and behavioral addictions they do physically change you so if you call somebody weak because they can't quit that then makes you equally weak because you decided to not do the laundry procrastination just as powerful as addiction (laughs) that's my terrible addiction (laughs) what sort of experiences that that people might have might predispose them to to being addicted to something Uh, predisposition is a is a fun one too Um, there are certain personality traits and hereditary traits um, epigenetics that lead to a predisposition the major ones we found are impulsivity um, and granted, impulsivity is another word that people think is so simple, and then you realize that impulsivity is like the color blue again. There's these massive spectrums and these different types and blends of impulsivity. But on the whole, you can say is a general blanket term. And impulsivity, people don't realize, can be altered through your lifespan. Puberty can change your levels of impulsivity. A severe car accident, PTSD, another medication that you're on, mm. all of these things can alter impulsivity and so through your life you can have varying levels of susceptibility you also then have you know family risks um, parents had addictive personalities and there is broadly speaking this concept of an addictive personality but it could be that your parents were perfectly clean straight you know blue collar workers and it was your friends 
And so it became something that was long running and you could have started out thinking, oh, no problem, I can put it down any time until you realize you're drinking on a Friday night without them. Mm. Mm-hmm. So again, predisposition, I would say the worst predisposition is impulsivity. A highly impulsive personality would be number one. Number two then would be um, brain alterations such as PTSD, which again, lower your impulsivity and increase your prolectivity for use. So would you say that, because um, you're talking there about chemical changes in the brain, but also behavioral and perhaps physiological things that have happened to people, mm-hmm. like a, a brain injury, for instance? There are the ones, you know, you, you think about pornography addictions, sex addictions, mm-hmm. video game addictions, things like that. And I think the word addiction in that context gets thrown out a bit too quickly. To actually meet the threshold of addiction, there needs to be a certain level of distress going on within the person's life and environment. They need to be seeking and craving and experiencing withdrawal. So somebody says, oh, I'm so addicted to video games, but yeah, I put it down to finish my homework. Well, you're using addiction in a cute little turn of phrase way without understanding actually what the context of addiction is. Addictions are harmful, they're painful, they're brutal. That withdrawal is so painful that in order to relieve it, you're more willing to go back to use than to continue stopping. Mm. And that's where the cycle begins. And so that's where you kind of get into this this odd, is it then the behavior or the brain, the behavior or the brain? Once you get into that withdrawal, it becomes the brain. Yeah. You know, your brain is overcoming. And so with certain things like the kids who play video games too much, you can give them some behavioral treatment, some reward, some consequences, things like that, and you can get that use to diminish. That pure behaviorism will not work with somebody who's, say, a heroin addict or a ketamine addict. It's a physical thing. Really. It's Yeah, it's actually physical. And there have been you know, instances, especially with alcohol, with where the withdrawal process is so severe the person does not survive, that you will not survive the withdrawal process, and so you need medical help. You know, and so that's when you get into just how dangerous it really can be. That really highlights how us who don't have the kind of physical addictions just can't understand how bad it can be. Oh, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even working in it, I, I'm fortunate enough, I suppose, to be one of those people who really does not have an addictive personality. And so I always find it funny that I work with addictions, being that I'm I'm a severe outsider. What I have is just a lot of compassion for what they're going through. It's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. People often say that people who uh, drink a lot or use drugs are self-medicating for mm-hmm. some reason. Is that your experience? Really? Funny enough, you know, the, the self-medication hypothesis is, is very interesting. It's, it's valid, but it's not universal. There are individuals who I would say, yes, they are self-medicating, especially ones post-accident or in a lot of pain. Um, very, very depressed and so want to numb. Mm. The part of the self-medication hypothesis that does not work is the individuals who say that, oh, so they're constantly exhausted, so they're going to take something that wakes them up. That that opposing theory it doesn't really hold up. Mm. There can be people who are in a lot of pain who still like cocaine. Mm. You know, a lot of pain does not necessarily mean heroin. Um, depressed does not necessarily mean cocaine. You can be depressed and drinking. You can be depressed and on heroin. You, can, you know, and all of those are downers. Mm-hmm. So that's the part of the self-medication hypothesis that, that doesn't work. But self-medication as a whole, I would say personal experience, purely personal. I give that 30% of the people I've talked to. Okay. I do say that um, things that, that happen to you 
repeatedly will change the structure of your brain. Absolutely. Like constant stress, for instance. So okay. constant reward from taking, from being addicted to pornography, for instance. It, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you think about it, something like pornography and sex addiction, um, it's not necessarily the act that the person becomes too addicted to, but think about what it's doing in their brain. They're having that rush of chemicals and that rush of, you know, endorphins that come from actual substance use mm, the rewards yeah. <laughs> exactly so they're getting a high so what they're hooked on is that high mm. now if they found something else that would produce the same high they undoubtedly would shift into something else and so that's the big debate with with like sex and pornography addiction is it are they actually addicted to what we're saying they're addicted to or are they addicted to the, the reaction in the brain which the could come from something else yeah. too Set Digital Brisbane's Independent Community Radio. Are there any protective factors that stop people or prevent people like you and me who don't have addictions? Honestly speaking, I've tried plenty of substances in my lifetime. I had, a, I had great high school years. And I just didn't have it in my genetic makeup to get addicted not for lack of trying that's not so you had the social conditions oh i had all the social conditions i had access to everything just you can just innately have this personality but you can also have um positive social environment Mm. um you can have healthy connections you know so preventative factors but at the same token you can have the person who has the very healthy social environment and gets into it with the wrong group of friends mm. so protective factors unfortunately there's not many um, it's just i think education so it could happen to any of us really it it really absolutely could mm. and it's just being educated about what the consequences of that action are without the scaremongering because mm. what good does that do for a teenager anyway what kinds of uh techniques to use what kind of interventions do you use to help people recover oh there's all kinds of them um the 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 amount of interventions are so varied and again personality plays a big role in what works for who so you watch tv and if you watch enough american tv you've seen plenty of that sit down and intervention and mom and dad and all our friends and you're going to join aa and you 12 steps and and here's how horrible you are and once an addict <laughs> always an addict and you can't do it without us and you know I, you can hear i despise that methodology personally for me personally the tough love method, oh really. it would have never been effective on me mm. <laughs> not a chance that would have worked and i've seen plenty of people who've had to drop out of programs because they loathe that system that that format of rehab but other people it's so fully successful you know i'm so glad you guys got together and i finally believe that you support me and you know, and I find that, personally speaking, again, um, clients who seem to be more communal do well with that intervention AA, higher power disease model kind right, of thing. Yeah. So they like the structure of it. Yeah, they like the support of it. They mm. like the, the, the higher power aspect of it. They like all of that. Other individuals, you just need to look at them and say, you know, I support you. I'm here for you. I need you to know that I'm not judging you but you are really stuffing things up, you know? And that's sometimes all it takes. Mm. Uh, Other people, you'll have that talk 50 times until it finally sinks in their head. 
But the main thing that's kind of consistent through all the different aspects is that non-judgmental support. You can be harsh, but it's still that you're not judging. You're not saying this makes you a bad person, but you're saying, look, you're, you're going through some stages and some actions that aren't good. Mm -hmm. I'm here to support you when you're ready, but I'm going to give you little nudges. Are there any medications that are used to help people recover? Um, depends on the substance. There are, um, well, heroin has methadone. I think that's the most commonly known one, mm. which, funny enough, methadone is a form, very loosely speaking, of heroin. Mm. And it's mainly because heroin is such a difficult addiction to kick. Don't ever pick up heroin. Nobody. Don't, don't do heroin. No heroin. So, but alcohol, we have a couple of medications that we can put people on for alcohol as well. There are some ones that are used for cocaine and things like that to try to substitute the... So the they substitute the drug or do they make you not want to have the drug? There's both. For oh, alcohol, right. there's ones that kind of substitute alcohol and there's ones that actually make you repulsed. Alcohol will make you violently ill. Right. That's tough love. So what, what have you found works best? Well, this is where it gets fun. You cannot look at a person on the first day and predict whether or not they'll make it. You can guess. You can have an inclination. And I'll say your inclinations can be a majority of the time right, 60%. But what about the other 40? What about the 40 that surprised you? The only thing, research speaking, two factors we've found. One, time spent in treatment. That's it. Get into an inpatient program. Stay for six months. Yeah. When you leave, your social ties are well and cut. They really are. So those negative social ties you had are gone. Mm -hmm. You've now been in a supportive environment for six months. You've now been clean for six months. And you've got about a 50-50 chance that you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So time spent in treatment is one of the best predictors for success of treatment. The other one is positive social support. You know? So if you go back into the same unsupportive environment for being clean. Exactly. You're not going to Your succeed. likelihood is not high. Mm. But this is where you also get the rise of something like AA. They then have you go to meetings, somebody's following up on you. Well, what then is the difference between AA and joining a choir? Yeah. Joining a basketball team. American basketball, right? A, a boating team, a, a swimming group, a book club. Mm. All of those will have the same pot of positive benefit. Mm, okay. Book club, people. Yeah, I, hey, well, there's not many addicts in book clubs. They see it's we're missing out. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you recommend listeners do if some, someone they know is being badly affected by addictive behavior? Now, it's going to depend on the person. But in a lot of the situations that I talk to people and they're like, oh, I've tried tough love for years and they're just not cleaning up and you just want to shake them and go, it's because tough love's not working. So Stop doing it. If I'm saying that the best way to recover is positive social support, how does tough love fit into positive social support? Mm. It's it very judgmental. It, it is. It's horribly <laughs> judgmental. Now, don't enable though. Don't keep giving your child, your friend, your whatever money or a ride or don't think, oh, I'll just be their wingman, their chaperone. I'll make sure they don't go too far. No, don't let them be there to begin with. You know, don't, don't do that, but, but be that first member of their positive social support group. Be that first person who says, I'm not here to judge you. I'm still your friend for a reason. Obviously, if you're a bad, horrible person, I'm not going to be your friend, right? And that's what you need to realize about the friend too. If they're such a bad and horrible person, would you still be worried about them? Mm. No. So why are you judging them? Don't judge them. Don't so judge them. What are some of the things that you might say your friend wants you to go with them to get out of it or score or something, you just 
You go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in there. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's quite the relationship I'd like to no. have with you. I don't think this is the most healthy thing you could be doing. I understand you might be kind of having a hard time right now, and that might be part of your habit, but how about we try to go do this instead? Mm. And realize that person's going to get angry. They're going to get mad. They're going to say you're not there for them. They're going to throw blame at you. They're going to do a lot of things, and that's the hard part of the not judging. Mm. You need to ask yourself, is that them? Or is that the addiction speaking? So it was very hard. I remember Nick Cave once said, people told me that my life would be wonderful after I gave up her <laughs> And they lie. lied. Don't lie to them either. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> Don't lie. Your life is still going to be what you make of it. Yeah. Happy is a choice. Healthy is a choice. Positive is a choice. <laughs> if you get out of it and you're like, I'm still in pain and I'm still miserable, it, well, at least now you're not an addict. All right. Um... Have you got any websites or places people might go to if they want some more information about the topic? Oh, ADFQ. ADFQ. And I believe it is actually ADFQ.org. Um, Logan House is the um, place right around Brisbane. But there are quite a min- quite a few. Even if you just look up Therapeutic Communities Australia, you'll get a massive list of really good treatment programs there are some detox facilities and hospitals all hospitals, around yeah. Brisbane as well. Uh, detox facilities are, it's its typically required that you detox before entering any sort of residential treatment. And I do highly recommend residential treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you very much for talking to me today. It's been very interesting. Yeah, not a problem. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Dr. Cassandra Perryman, clinical psychologist working with people who have addictions. You are listening to the Only Human Podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.